I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm speaking with Brody Swisher about all things turkey hunting. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. Yep, you guessed it. This is not Mark Kenyon's voice. It's old Antonio keeping the lights on again while Mark is off in France, of all places, trying to win a breakdancing championship with a belly full of croissants. Now, I know he looks like he'd be pretty awkward on the dance floor, but Mark has actually got some pretty good moves, and he got bumped up from the amateur category to professional. So be sure to wish him luck. I hope he comes home with some hardware for his man cave. Today, I have Tennessee hunter Brody Swisher on. Brody is the editor for bowhunting.com and the host of the Hunting Roots podcast. He also happens to be one hell of a talented deer hunter and, of course, a turkey hunter, which is what we are talking about today. This is the one show a year where we break from whitetails to talk about gobblers. But the truth is, we do mix in a little bit of deer hunting conversation as well. But basically, if you're a casual turkey hunter, a diehard turkey hunter, or even just remotely interested in starting out, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Brody Swisher, do you know how special of a guy you are? Always, man. That's <laughs> always always feeling special when I get to hang out with you for a few minutes. We get we do one turkey episode a year for Wired to Hunt, and you are the guy this year, and we are going to talk all kinds of turkey today. Good deal, man. That's one of my favorite pieces, so I uh, appreciate the opportunity, man. Always good to catch up. Yeah, I, I, I love talking turkey and other stuff because we spend so much time each year talking about deer, how to kill a deer, and where to find big bucks, how to plan hunts, and turkeys are just fun. 
And it's just, it's, I was telling you, you know, this is, this is a a late March episode, but I was telling you back in, in February, I saw my first bird strutting already, you know, through 30 inches of snow up here in Minnesota. And man, the first time you see that just, you just get you pumped. And you were saying that you were uh, duck hunting at the end of the season down there in Tennessee and heard a bird gobble at first light, (laughs) (laughs) which he was obviously a little bit confused, but man, it's, it's getting close now. That's right. Yeah, you know, whether it's passing by a field, seeing one strutting, whether just those early birds popping off, whatever. I mean, it's just those little encounters. They're just enough to keep tugging at you to get you through, and and so those are always appreciated. And yeah, man, it's it's right here. Looking forward to it. It's gonna be awesome. Do you do? Yeah, because you got a whole passel of kids there that you're taking out hunting. Do you do a lot of scouting before turkey season? You know, that's kind of evolved over the years and anymore. I really don't just because a lot of the scouting I do, you know, somebody said, Oh, I saw your truck up there, whatever place, you know, and they, and, um, you know, I, I end up giving myself away, you know, if I'm parked somewhere and start listening for birds before season or whatever. And, uh, so I've got, you know, the spots that I know where they've produced in the past and, um, I may go listen the week of, but I don't do a lot in advance. I usually know, man, this place, be it public or private, has produced, uh, you know, for years. And, and so I know they're going to be there. And like I said, I mean, a lot of times when I go start listening on public, man, I'll see somebody's got my truck parked, at, you know, see my, see my truck parked at the gate. And then I start getting some of that competition. And then the next time I go, there's a truck ahead of me, you know, so I just try to be subtle and, and uh, that little sneak attack, you know, for me. Got to start taking your wife's vehicle out there. That's right. Well, I did sell my, I had a Jeep, Jeep Cherokee. It was pretty, it was a cool looking Jeep I picked up a couple of years ago, but it was, it was, you know, the old school Cherokee box Cherokee from years back. And I uh, had a little lift on it, some good mud tires. I mean, it was a really good looking Jeep, but I had everybody like, Oh man, I saw your Jeep up there, you know, whatever. So I started, that's why I think I went back to the suburban and drove, you know, my little boy's Toyota Camry, you know, sneak in there with the, with the car. They don't have a clue what's going on. So just whatever it takes. Yeah. You don't, I mean, it's scouting for turkeys is weird. If you're, if you have enough land and you know, you, you're going to run and gun with a shotgun, it's really like kind of unnecessary. It's fun, you know, get out there and hear them sound off, but you really don't need to. But I, I found, you know, being stuck here, especially here in Minnesota on some smaller properties where, you know, you're not, you're not going to just go chase every gobble because most of them are going to be across a fence line that, you know, scouting, you know, running cameras, looking for some scratching and tracks and glassing when I can has really changed the game for my bow hunting turkeys and for taking my little girls out. That's right. Yeah. I think exactly that. The majority majority of my scouting is, is where, where can I get one in a field for my kids? Like you said, you know, where, what food plot are they hitting and what time are they hitting? And that's what you mentioned trail cameras, man. That's where that, is so vital for me uh and just that process taking intel you know a lot of guys go pull their cameras deer season over let me pull my camera but it's like man now's the time to have that camera out and I, I don't think people utilize that you know that that trail camera enough to uh you know they just overlook it for a scouting tool for turkeys and, and have it out there man i've got a landowner and he's like hey he's got to sell he's always sending me pictures on cellular camera he's like hey these turkeys come kill them it's like february you know and i'm like dude you know, you can't, you can't do it in February or it's March, man. Go ahead. No, we got another month and, uh, whatever it is, but they're popping up on his, you know, cellular camera and he'll show me, you know, pictures of, you know, half dozen gobblers out there, whatever. And so that kind of intel is huge. And, you know, so you realize in him, the landowner, he hates turkeys. He doesn't hunt them, but he, he wants them dead. And so, uh, I think, you know, just that, like I said, trail camera getting out there, 
Um, and I'm bad about that too. You know, I get kind of lazy after deer season, but then, you know, realize, man, that, that trail camera needs to be in place. So I know, like you said, um, you can find tracks in a field. So, okay, we got turkeys using this field, but where are they coming into that field? Are they flying down in that field? Uh, you know, us hunting with our kids, we need that shot. I don't want them taking a 40, 50 yard shot or whatever. And if they're shooting a crossbow, I want them in there, you know, at 10, you know, so I mean, knowing where in that field they're going to be. Uh, where in that food plot they're going to be just to maximize those opportunities because uh, we do we have so many times where uh, happened a couple years ago we're hunting a little food plot turkeys were in there every day uh, but man it went wide you know they went 40 50 yards from us and i wanted them closer for my boys and one little bit of intel one little bit of scouting watching that field the day before the week before whatever would have showed us hey they're kind of cruising down the other side of that field and you need to be over there and it'd been a done deal so yeah, the, the timing thing with turkeys, you know, you, you really learn this when you start doing some fall turkey hunts and see how patternable they are throughout the day. But when oh, you yeah. start getting the spring and, you know, people are like, oh, it, it busted loose. There's two-year-old birds running all over. It's not that random. And you start Ooh. running trail cameras on some logging roads and field corners and stuff, and you start to see, you know, especially for me, like, you know, up here in Minnesota and Wisconsin where I hunt a lot – if you're out there early season, I'm always trying to get my girls' birds like opening day, just just to get out before everybody else starts going. Yep. And you see, like, you know, you want to be there on opening morning, but they're all flocked up and they got an agenda and they're going to go fill their bellies and strut in the sun. And it's just, but you know, ten o'clock in the morning, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, then you get that afternoon, and it's all of a sudden when you start watching them a little bit and you start getting those trail cameras out there, you're like, man, there's been a long beard through here by himself. You know, every day between one and three o'clock in the afternoon, just cruising, and you start you start seeing those patterns, and those birds are the ones that you can just work and kill. Yeah, absolutely. That's again the same farm. This guy had been sending me photos. You know, you talk about scouting. I remember going out there. That was the first year I had it, and went out there and um, did that. Just out listening, just trying to figure out, hey, where are the where are the birds coming from, where they're hanging out, where they roosted, all that stuff, and went out there, never heard a peep. You know, this guy's like, dude, I got birds everywhere. And uh, never heard a bird off the, you know, off the roofs. You never heard a bird gobble. You know, hung out for 30, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever, nothing. You know, I go back to the guy and say, dude, I never heard anything. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever it is, he shows me, he sends me a picture. He's like, here's your birds, man. And they were in the exact field that I was standing listening that morning. You know, they just, they weren't talking that morning, you know, um, whether we busted them, whatever, you know, you, you got to, those, those cameras are so huge because those birds showed up midday. Never made a sound off the roost, but they showed up there. And so um, that is, it's just a different beast when, when you get that turkey that's, uh, like I said, the morning time comes, you got all the hustle, the bustle, everything's crazy. But when you get that 10 to 2 time, you know, 11 to 3, whatever it is, that midday stuff, that, that's a different animal. That's a different bird. And he can he, he's much more inclined to play the game yep. then, you know, when he finds himself lonely. So. Yeah, if you can if you can pin them down when they're using using some area in the middle of the day, and you know I'm starting to see, you know, last year was really interesting for us because on our opener here, I pulled the girls out of school for for the afternoon hunt, and we we've been doing that a lot the last couple of years, but it was it was bitter cold, snowing, nasty, but yeah. those birds, you know, if I if I'm working a big winter flock in the morning. I feel like I got, you know, like a 5% chance. You might get somebody yeah. to peel off or, you know, a little trio of jakes or something, but that same flock in the afternoon or the evening is, you can call the whole thing in a lot of times. Yeah, if, if you've got them kind of pinned down and know where they're going, 
And it's it's to the point now. I mean, we we killed three birds last year in the first three days of the season here. All of them were in the afternoon. And it was just because, yeah. you know, I don't know, they're just, they're just more workable. And I think people, you know, it's, you, you want to be out there when the sun's rising just because it's freaking awesome. But right. if you want to figure out how to kill one, especially if you're bow hunting or you're trying to get kids on a bird, man, that time, you know, when you're not running and gunning and you're not, you know, like with my girls, they're not comfortable enough carrying the gun around to go, you know, we hear a gobble on that end of the farm. We're going to sprint there. That's not happening. <laughs> like we, yeah, right. we're going to call them into our laps if we can. And man, it's, it's pretty fun when you get them figured out that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you said, that, that percentage of birds killed in the morning, I, I don't know. I've heard it before, but I mean, it's, it's pretty slim. That's what we always hope for. We strive for. We're like, Hey, I got this bird goblin. You know, we all dream about the bird that pitches down and you shoot him off the roost. And that's kind of that textbook deal. Uh, we still have some of those, you know, had a few of those this past spring, but more times than not, it's, it's like you said, it's that bird. It's up in the day, that afternoon bird. Again, he's, he's a different animal. And, um, like you said, man, he's just so much more workable. And, and even when he's got, I don't know, I noticed that even, even when he's got hens, you know, like in the morning, it's like when he's end up, not a chance, not a chance. But then in the afternoon, I don't know. I don't know if he's just trying to add to the, add to the flock or what, but he's, uh, much more inclined to come investigate, come try to swoop up another hen or whatever. And, and just a much, much more doable bird, workable bird in that afternoon. And I think things are just a whole lot more chill. Like you said, if you can be in that right spot, that food, uh, food plot, field, whatever that's, that's in, in route back to his, you know, stomping grounds, back to his bedroom. Uh, I'd, I'd say your, your chances are so much more better, uh, more better than the afternoon. Um, just like I said, he's just a workable bird you know, at that time of day. So when, when is the opener down there for you guys? Dude, this year we got bumped back. It's crazy. It's going to be interesting to see. We got our whole season got pushed back two weeks. Why okay? is that? So we, it's just, they're digging at any kind of answers for our decline. See, we've here in the South, man, it's the numbers are supposedly the numbers are down. Uh, we had our best spring we've ever had in 2022. So, I mean, I got new, you know, got on some new farms and, it was just good for my family, my kids. We had our best year yet, but a lot of guys will tell you that you know the turkey population is is way down, and so Tennessee's one of a number of states they've just taken chipping away at some different you know variables to see. Uh, they're saying let's bump it back, not interrupt any you know breeding that's going on, give them a chance to do their breeding and, and push it back a little bit. Um, so they did that. They moved it from the first weekend in April to mid-April. So. Yeah, you know, it's one of, I was talking to a guy earlier today. It's like, I would like to see him maybe, let's, you know, the first year, let's maybe try one week. Let's just, instead of such a drastic, you know, half a month is a, it's a lot of time there. And then you, you move it back, you're moving into the end of May. And my gosh, I mean, there's a good chance you're going to have hens and poults running around at that point, you know? So, I mean, uh, it's a, it's going to be interesting. But uh used to be last weekend in March was uh, the youth season. Uh, first weekend in April was, you know, the opener. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a different deal because I mean, a lot of those birds, like I said, first part of, you know, these next few weeks, first part of March, uh, or excuse me, end of March, uh, those you know, youth hunts were just flocked up, crazy birds everywhere talking, you know, just big bunches, you know, big groups. Um, by mid April, you know, things are, are breaking up pretty good. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what no pressure does and if it's going to pay off and be worth, uh, such a drastic move, you know, for a two week swing. Yeah. I mean, that's something you're going to see. And you mentioned that in other states where they're, you know, Nebraska's dealing with this. A lot of Southern states are 
you know, where the hell are our birds? And, yeah. you know, if you talk to Chamberlain and some of these guys who are real turkey researchers, I mean, one of one of the thoughts behind it is we've gotten so good at killing dominant birds. And it's yeah. not, you know, at least the way I understand it, it's not just you shoot the dominant Tom and the next guy in line gets to breed all the hens. They have to sort everything out again and figure out who's the dominant bird. And so it's it's delaying or or even shutting down the breeding in some situations. And, you know, it, which seems crazy that we could affect it that much. But when you start looking at like Dave Smith decoys and some of these high end decoys that are, I mean, they're, yeah. they're like a game changer and people have this stuff figured out pretty well with blinds. And like, we've, we've got a lot of advantages. Now you go, okay, maybe that is the reason the resource is suffering, but you're, you're seeing those kind of situations where they're bumping the season back to let some breeding happen. And, you know, yep. changing things, cutting down on, on, you know, instead of three tags, you can buy two or, you know, you're, yep. you're seeing a change out there. Yeah. And that's it for us. The, the, the swing and the season, uh, you know, you mentioned the fanning and I don't know if we want to go there and get into that one. Cause that's a, that's a topic in and of itself. It's hot as anything, but you know, they, they, for Tennessee anyway, they said no more, you know, reaping of turkeys, uh, on public land. Um, which to me, it's kind of a, you know, that ought to be a no brainer, I guess. I mean, really, you, you know, some of these public pieces of the ground, wildlife management areas and your, uh, the number of hunters that are out there and you're crawling behind a strutting fan. I mean, that's just, it goes against everything we ever taught, right. In hunter yeah. education, you know, I mean, it's just, it's asking for trouble. People are getting shot every year doing that stuff. But so they taken that, there was a lot of talk of whether just to ban the reaping, you know, the full strut deal altogether. They knocked it out of public land hunting for 2023 uh, there was that, and then there was also the there's a Jake stipulation. There's a Jake regulation. You can only shoot. Gosh, I'm gonna make something up if I try to tell it, but it's it's something like you can only shoot one Jake, or you you know something like that. Your first bird of the year can be, or you know, you can shoot one Jake a year, or something to that effect. And, um, that, I don't know. That breaks my that. heart. It does, man. I was crushed. <laughs> I was crushed. I was like, wait a minute, hold up. You know, you're killing me now. You know, you take my spikes and you take my jakes and we're going to have problems, you know, here in, in you know, any, anywhere. So, um, so yeah, I don't, like I said, it's some variation of that. It's a limitation on the jakes you can kill, which, I mean, I look at it. Mississippi, I think, you know, down the road is, is I think it's got to be a five or six inch beard or something like that. And then, you know, maybe the kids can, you know, maybe it's under 16 can shoot a jake or a jake, you know, kid can shoot one jake or something. Yeah. Uh, in his lifetime, you know, but I don't. So they've got that. So I mean, it's not like it's unheard of. Um, but you know, it goes against. You know, it goes against the whole thing of who you know. Some guys just want to shoot a bird. You know what I'm saying? And um, now you're gonna make them wait on a long beard or what? I don't know. It, it's a lot of that stuff. I get it. Um, I like opportunities. I like for you know anybody to have opportunity. You know, I get the thing of saying, well, kids can shoot a Jake. Well, what about the first timer that's yeah. 25 you know and he or she wants to go out there and like dude i, I just want to shoot one of these. i've never done it before here comes a whole gaggle of you know jakes coming up there in your business and to tell that person hey i know you've never killed one before but you can't shoot that one you know and so i, I don't know some of those those rules and regulations i think that you know oversee some stuff that you know probably shouldn't be there but i think tennessee's doing okay if i understand it correctly you can still shoot one you can have that you can have that ground shrinkage get you and then uh and still get away with one bird. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, they're all just, you know, some of those chipping away at trying to chip away at some of those different issues to help 
you know, figure out what, what might work, you know, and that, they, that was the other thing. They, they, uh, liberalized the, uh, take of or trapping of coons, you know, made it pretty much a year round instead of, you know, whatever it was, you know, November to February. Now it's pretty much year round trapping of coons. So, uh, those are some good steps from that kind of stuff, you know, cause we do, I mean, coons, uh, uh, issue and you know coon skunks possum any of that stuff man we quit trapping those when the fur prices went down the market shot and nobody wanted to trap them and, and here they are exploded so yeah the nest predator thing's a big deal and you know it's tough right i mean when you when you talk about some of those regulations and talk about not being able to shoot a jake or whatever it it doesn't make me feel all that good you know we we have enough we have enough issues with deer management and quality deer management and stuff and whatever side of the fence you fall on that. And then you think about turkeys and one of the beautiful things about turkey hunting was it's like no trophies, like not really, yeah. you know, and just to go out and enjoy it. But, you know, I, I don't mind state game agencies trying stuff like that. If it's for the resource and they go, you know, this is a three-year thing or whatever. And if it's, if it doesn't make a difference, we're going back or we're going to try something different. What I hate is when you get stuff like that, that's supposed to be for the resource. And then it's just like, that's just the way it is forever. You know, we, mm-hmm. we dealt with that and maybe I'm a little spicy over this, but you know, one of the, my favorite hunts that we used to have was the January grouse season in Northern Wisconsin. Cause nobody was there. I mean, we, my buddies yeah. and I would go over there like two weekends a year in January and hunt those birds on public land. And I never saw another hunter in like a decade. And then they, you know, they had some grouse population issues. And so they go, well, they, you know, an easy win is to get rid of this. And it's like, well, were the January hunters killing that many birds? Like where, where's yeah. the data on this? Like, is there, a, is there a way we could address this? And then when you see it go away, because there wasn't a whole lot behind that, it was just like kind of a politically easy win that wouldn't piss off too many people. But then yeah. it's just, that opportunity is gone forever. And you're like, well, did it? Did it work? You know, like wh- yeah. where, where do we end up with this sacrifice? Cause it's gone. So we lost a hunting opportunity, but did it matter? And if it That's did right. like, you know, I mean, if the, if the numbers improved and it was linked to that, great. But if it was just one of those things where they're like, well, let's just do this. That, that bothers me a little. Yeah. It's like, show me some, show me some research, show me some data on that stuff because um, I'm all for whatever helps out. You know, I'm all for, you know, you telling me that this, you know, this tactic is going to help us get our population by whatever percentage by the next couple of years. Well, shoot, let's do that. If we need to drop a bird, if we need to, uh, you know, out of the bag limit, if we need to not use this, do use this, whatever. If you tell me that's going to boost things up and here's your, your, your research and the facts that are going to back that up, that's great. Let's do that. And then after three or four years or not, show me some more data, you know, that what this, this did, you know, but man, I see so much. I was listening to podcasts earlier today, you know, some, turkey biologist and it's like my gosh man the more i listen to these guys that are the the scientists the biologists on stuff the more i feel like i don't think we know i don't think they know you know i mean so many times they say well we really don't have the information we need and that's kind of what i hear a lot you know it, it's kind of scary i mean i don't know i think we're kind of being reactive and stuff a lot of it's instead of you know stuff we should have been kind of tracking the last 10 or 20 years you know when things were good i think everybody just loved the the heyday of turkey population and now we're kind of reactive to the fact oh gosh something's going on and nobody seems to know you know like so when i see these questions they're like ah oh, we just really don't have the you know we just don't have the information we need or the research we need and uh, i'm like well when are we going to get that you know i mean yeah. we've been talking the last three or four years now okay we're almost you know five years now wondering what's up with this stuff five years you could probably have gotten some pretty good data collected there and um 
but yeah, like you said, I mean, you start getting to where you take something out and say, let's just try this and it's gone. You don't usually get those things back. You know what I'm saying? You don't get that bird back, that, that extra bag limit, that season, that extra weekend, whatever it is, they take it out. And, um, most time it's that slippery slope. One time's gone, it's not coming back. And then it's that much easier for them to say, well, let's just hatch away the next one, you know? And, and so, um, Anyway, it's tough. It is. It's a lot of political bullcrap that goes on. And um, Tennessee, our, our, our folks here are pretty good. I know some of the commissioners here and making the rules, regulations. But, uh, man, it, it's a lot of politics in it that just doesn't seem to slide the right way. Yeah. I mean, I wish I used to have to do a lot of interviews with uh, – you know, deer biologists and wildlife researchers and, you know, how do they count deer and how do they count wolves? And, you know, how do we know from year to year that we have this number and where do the estimates come from? And it really, it, it, it it's really like a lose, lose situation because they counting wild game populations is hard. Like, I mean, I- impossible really to be all that accurate a lot of times, but I always look at it like over in Wisconsin, when you register a deer, you have to answer this little survey on, you know, how many deer did you see today? How much, how was the weather? How do you rate the weather? How much, how many hours did you put in? And I look at that and I go, man, if you're, if you're worried about turkey populations, if, you know, if you have people register them online, they could create any kind of survey they want and at least track, you know, it's anecdotal, but it would be such a large sample size that you could say, wow, you know, two years ago, people were reporting seeing, you know, six turkeys per hunt. Now they're seeing three. You know, and, exactly. it, and it, you know, of course, you got a bias there with successful hunters and whatever. But at least I, th- I think we could be gathering more information from the people all over your state who are out there sitting there in the spring or sitting there in the fall and at least get some of these trends down and go, OK, is this because because you always wonder, you know, I mean, you listen to people bitch in certain places like, well, there's no deer left. And then you go hunt there and you have an awesome hunt. And you're like, OK, well, who am I hearing from? Like, That's who, right. and, and those, some of those voices are really loud. And sometimes when you meet those people, you're like, well, you, you just really don't know what you're doing. Like it's, That's it's right. too small of a sample size and too vocal of a, you know, of a, a, a little segment there. And so I'd like to see that. Cause that would be, that's a really small ask for hunters to have to fill out a little survey or something that's already, on, you know, it comes right up on your phone when you, or, you know, to buy your next license. Okay, well, we see you bought turkey license. You were unsuccessful. What happened? And just fill it out oh, right there. And we could be yeah. gathering some real data and and at least using that. Yeah, no, that'd be huge. You know, I hear them talking about, you know, some of these biologists talk about purchasing with some of these funds that have been raised for different fundraisers for, you know, NWTF or turkeys for tomorrow or whatever it is. And they're buying these, well, I don't know what they call them, song meters or whatever. It's basically just, you know, oh, yeah. some kind of device that they're hanging up in the woods and the trees. And it's basically gathering, if, from what I understand, you know, it, the number of gobbles, you know, like it's just a recording device, high dollar recording device and sticking it up out there. And of course, I kind of wonder like, okay, is that the best we can do for research is have a, you know, a, a audio recorder out there recording gobbles and i mean i know all that different stuff comes in and the data's there and they can figure out whatever and they they're smarter with that than i am obviously but just like you talk about you take a survey and and, then and everybody becomes a recording device right how many turkeys did you hear this morning how many turkeys did you know what's the most you heard what's the least you heard you know whatever did you hear turkeys you know gobbling every hunt like i said now every person every hunter that's been in the spring turkey woods is somebody collecting data you know and 
So that would be huge. And like you said, I mean, you're talking five minute survey, you know, yep. you talk about the number of birds they saw, number of birds, you know, number of jakes, number of, you know, all that stuff. Um, it, it could be, like you said, a real simple ask, uh, but huge data for them just to work off of. And then, you know, just kind of get across the board, because like you said, you, you can't go by what you hear somebody griping about on Facebook. The, like you said, the loudest, the loudest voice is that guy that's ticked off because he doesn't have anywhere to go. He never sees a turkey. Uh, if he does see a turkey, he can't kill it, you know, and he's just a horrible hunter, but he's going to be the one that's going to be griping the most, the loudest voice out there. Uh, the reality is he just sucks at playing the game. And so here, you know, that's not, you know, you can't figure that into averages, you know, as far as that goes. So, well, um, and, you, and you would have the opportunity too. I mean, I, I, I was out the other day in my driveway and one of my neighbors walked up and he's a, he's a big upland hunter. He's got English setters and really good dude. And so he came up to talk to me about last pheasant season and we were BSing and he hunts probably, you know, maybe an hour and a half kind of from where I like to hunt. So a little bit different part of the state, but not real far. And he knows his stuff. He has good dogs, hunts hard. And he's like, man, we really struggled to find birds this year. And, you know, we shot some roosters, but it wasn't, wasn't great. You know, and I was like, and he's asking me and I was like, man, I had an amazing year. We were covered in birds. And if you had enough people, you know, filling out a survey or whatever, you could say, well, geez, this region seems to be hopping. This one seems to be on a decline. Why? What's the habitat like? What is, what's the predator situation like? And it probably could allow them to tweak, you know, some management strategies around, you know, high and low populations. But, you know, it's easy, it's easy to sit here. and solve all these problems without having to do anything uh when, right. you're, when you're going to start out there down there in tennessee wh- what's your decoy situation like because I, I i have people ask me all the time about my my setups and i'm i'm real particular about decoys what do you what do you go with like opening morning what's your set what your setup yeah so my routine is, is typically been if i can if i can carry a few decoys um i've got a Lay down hen, um, or we call the the breeder. It's just a, a hen, and uh, it's on the ground like she's laid down, ready to be bred. I'll have that, and I'll have a Jake standing behind. I use the AVNX decoys, um, and so yeah, that little breeder hen laying on the ground. We've got this Jake decoy, and I don't know what they call a Jake decoy, but it's just a crazy good looking Jake decoy. He's not strutting. It's a, um, is it like a quarter strut? Maybe a quarter strut. Um, yeah, maybe that quarter strut. He's just got a little boat up look yep. about him or, you know, whatever. I can't remember which one it is, but I put that right behind it. Like he's ready to step up on her. And then I use that feeder. So I use a breeder, the feeder, uh, and then that Jake. And the, and the feeder to me, it's just a head down. She got her head down kind of, you know, like she's pecking away, you know, bugging across the field. But that one to me, and, and if I had just one, I'd probably use her because that one there to me, it works as a confidence decoy that, you know, um, that bird, whatever, be it hens, be it a gobbler, he looks out there and he sees, oh man, she's over there, she's feeding, she got food, she's content, no no problems, it's just like waterfowl, you know, you got that old um, confidence equal or whatever it is you use, for me, that's it for the turkey, it's just that feeder, she's, she's content, she's chill, but also the fact that she's got her head down and she's feeding, and, and that gobbler, for so many times that gobbler comes up and it just keeps pushing him to come on because he's like, hey, look at me chick you know whatever i mean he's like you know look up and, and so she's not paying him attention it's almost like she's playing hard to get and he he's got to come on in he'll strut you know come out of strut walk on him hey look at me you know she's not looking and he, he marches right in because he wants her to get her head up and look and so 
I like those two. That feeder is a good is a good piece. Uh, that's kind of mine. I use those three if I if I have the opportunity to haul them in, use them whatever the setup is. Uh, I usually start off with that when the ground is you know not a lot of grass growing up, fields are are still low. Um, that breeder Jake behind it. Uh, again, man, no no gobbler's right mind is gonna put up with that little punk Jake standing up and getting ready to breed one of the you know hens. I mean, what is he missing out on? You know, so I mean, that one's pretty pretty strong and. It, it just seems to work. I don't know that early season. Uh, well, I say early season. It seems to work all along, but yeah. early on. I mean, once once everything gets up and you know the fields start growing up, that that you know breeder laying on the ground is kind of out of the options because it's you know just that it's laying down. And they don't see it, but uh, that's a pretty tough setup, man. That's kind of my favorite setup is, yeah. is using that. Just again, just kind of pushing him. You try to tick off that bird and, and let him know as a young punk in here hanging out with the ladies and. And he, he has a hard time handling that one. Yeah, that's that's typically what I go with. I'm I'm using Dave Smith's, but it's the same principle where you've got yeah. the lay down hen, and it, you know I, I try to get her on like a little gopher mound or something, just to get her up just a little bit, and then I push that Jake decoy right down on top of her, so he's like five inches off the ground. Because I see a lot of people put their decoys way up high, looks a little bit mm-hmm. unnatural. And then I'll usually do a feeder, and then he's got a leading hen decoy, it's called, and she's always way out front. And if you string them in the same direction, they it just looks like that little flock following that lead hen. She's going somewhere, and the you know the Jake's trailing, and he. I so often like you're talking about where you kind of get that bird. You know, sometimes they just come barreling in, and you're good to go. But you get that one that's like I'm kind of looking, I'm showing you my stuff. I, I get a lot of times, especially when I'm bow hunting them, where that bird will get to like 40, 50 yards and he'll finally pick up that, that breeder hen on the ground. And then his yep. demeanor will change and he goes, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not showing off anymore. I'm coming in. And you yep. see that switch. A lot of times, if you see it, you know, it, you know, if you're in like a lower spot in the field, like a corner, a lot of times will be a little lower. And those birds will get there and they can see everything pretty good, but they get to a point where they catch that that little hen peeking up underneath that Jake and then it's just freaking over. Oh, dude. You, you can see it in that body language. He's so pissed when he realizes what's going on. And like you said, he goes from that kind of that looking and strutting to just that mean walk he does. And he comes in, you can just stiff leg and he's marching and you see the feathers bristled up and he's coming and he's just, he's pissed, man. And, and it's like, like you said, he, the, the the switch is flipped and he he's coming and i mean um gosh that's exciting when that happens and you know he's coming in there to clean house and he's done you know he's not tolerating that stuff so yeah that's a fun deal when they, when they finally catch that glimpse Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Let's say you're on a, just a typical field edge setup in the morning. You know, those birds are going to be walking out, right? So I, I kind of set them up where, you know, whatever my shot is, I want that that Jake there, you know, that Jake at the 20 yards, or if I'm bow hunting at seven, eight yards, whatever. And then it looks like everything's coming out of the woods in a, in a line, you know, like turkeys would do, or I'll reverse it in the evening. But I always have my birds facing the same way, traveling the same direction. I see people and I know they kill birds, so it probably doesn't matter. But you see people who put, you know, like their Jake or their strutter right in the middle, and then they'll put a hen on one side facing away and a hen on the other side facing away. And, it, you know, they're dumb birds, right? But you look at that and you go, I never see wild birds do that. They're always yeah. going the same direction. Yeah, well, and when you do see them looking different directions, what is it? It's, yeah. it's, you know, a coyote just came in the field. And so all of a sudden their head's up and they're all looking. You know what I'm saying? They're looking and yep. they're all different directions, like checking things out. To me, when I see different heads going different ways, something just spooked them. And they're looking for danger, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good sign of something ain't right when – 
you know, heads are just periscoping. They're looking all around. And um, so, yeah, that's definitely not a natural uh, presentation. And if anything at all, it's a it's a sign of, you know, of danger and them on alert and looking and trying to figure out something that's up, you know. So, yeah, you try to keep them, like you said, that, that lead hen, that lead hen decoy, whatever, just keeping that natural float, man. They're following somebody, you know, and she's going to be that hen out front and, and the rest of them just kind of taking along. You got that little string of, of birds lined out there. So that's a net, you know, very uh, natural presentation, you know, to have that set up where everybody's doing that natural float, following that, that lead hen. Yeah, I think – you know, it might all be in my head, but I think some of that stuff when you're hunting pressured birds matters. And I also think I, I've really gotten into uh, setups on like logging roads where I can I can catch them like mid morning where those birds, you know, they hear you. You can do some scratching and throw it in there and mix it up a little bit, but they got to get pretty close to lay eyes on it. They don't get yeah. that stand 200 yards away and check stuff out kind of thing. Like they're they're going to have to get there to see it. But you don't, you know, you don't want to surprise them, but you want to get it where it's like he pops out 40, 50 yards away and sees it. And then he's already in that red zone where when he catches that breeder underneath there, he's coming. And you get those situations with the right birds that you scouted out. And it's like, it's almost a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Almost. When it happens like that. That's right. Almost. Uh, unless you're hunting with me and then it's, it's, I'm the, should have been here yesterday guy. I'm the the small percentage that went wrong that's that's my that's my hunts usually but uh no it's it's fun like so when it when it happens when it works it's good stuff but like you said man having them where they can see it from a distance is the key to me um you know having that let them see it no big surprises you know they freak out and pop out and right on top of oh you know here's a whole flock right here didn't even see them here you know whatever um but i like when you talk about like they seven that situation where they see them from a distance he gets a chance to on you know on his terms you know see it and take a look at it investigate it and then march on in when he sees what he likes yeah. or don't like and, i mean if it's in a spot where they expect to see birds too i mean if you've got it scouted out and there's you know birds going through that logging road at you know 7 30 yeah. in the morning and 10 o'clock in the morning and noon and it's pretty consistent back and forth movement it just seems like they're just like oh I, i've heard calling i hear scratching and now i see this little flock that i kind of expected to bump into uh do you do do you do much bow hunting for them, or are you mostly shotgun hunting them? Shotgun mostly these days. You know, there was a lot, there was a time when you know back in the double bull days, you know, uh, that was like all I did. You yeah. know, I was doing some pro staff with those guys, and that's all I did, man. Bow hunting them and just um, you know ground blind, and and that was that was it. And I enjoyed that time. You know, I enjoyed those days, and oh. Um, and I don't really know what changed for me other than maybe just coming back. When we were in Montana, that's all we did. You know, we bow hunt them. You can only shoot one bird there, so it's kind of, and they were so easy. It was kind of like, you know, be a little silly to chase them with a shotgun. You know, it's just a perfect deal for the bow. Moved back here, chasing these eastern birds again. And just the challenge of it, but also hunting with my kids and, and whatever, kind of transitioned back to toting that, that shotgun. And I just, I love, you know, the running gun. I kind of got tired of sitting in a blind, hearing birds do something, knowing – I need to be over there, not right here. Uh, and, you know, want to bail out that line and take off. And so, and not that you can't run and gun with a bow, but I mean, uh, I love that crawling, sneaking, moving, whatever, you know, just position, just a chess match of turkey hunting. So uh, these days, man, we've been toting the little 20 gauge. And even this last year, we shot them all at 410, you know, so it's been kind of cool uh, getting back into that. But yeah, carrying the boomstick's kind of been fun, you know, yeah. these last few years. Uh, I've enjoyed it again. 
If you can't find any of those 410 turkey shells this year, it's because my daughter shot them all last year. <laughs> we are we're not hunting with 410s anymore. We The first couple of years, they uh, did really well with it. And then we had such an epic meltdown last year that uh, it was... Uh, it was something I've never seen before. I went out there with those little girls, and we had nine shells, and we got one bird, and I had to strangle that pup at the end because we were <laughs> out of shells. And I was just at one point there, everybody in the blinds crying, and I'm going, guys, I don't know, I don't know what we have going wrong. I don't know what's going on. We got to reset, and it was a, it was a meltdown. That I mean, imagine shooting nine times at turkeys in your decoys. And you kill one Jake, and that mm. was and that was a Jake that got shot in the ass on the first shot. <laughs> it was I, I when I was digging in my my backpack for that second box of shells, I was like, guys, we got to get our shit together. I don't know, mm. I don't know how to do this any other way. But mm. then I took my my one daughter who didn't kill but missed a lot that day. The next day, and I I brought the twelve gauge out and put it in the death grip, and I was like. It's going to be a different deal here, honey. Like, just yeah. just put that on the base of his neck. And she, after she shot her bird that night, she said, I'm never going back to that other gun. I'm like, good. I can't find any shells for it anyway. Like, <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Oh, dude. And, man, that, that is a special kind of panic when you know you just ran out of – you just shot your last shell, flung your last arrow, and that sucker's still standing there, you yeah. know, standing there alive. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And you're like you said, you're digging through your jacket, your pockets, your turkey vest. And there ain't another shell. And that sucker's out there still alive or flopping or running or whatever. And, oh, my gosh, I, I've lived that one out so many times. And that, that just the panic that sets in thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm out of shells. So I'm going to have to go beat this thing with the gun, you know, and whatever and run down, whatever. It, it's a yeah, I feel you, man. That's a, that's a meltdown. I don't care if you're with girls or boys or whatever. That's uh, we've been there and experienced that. And it's you're doing your best you can. You know, I am. You know, just to keep cool. I'm pretty bad about that. Like, yeah, me too. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you, come on, you know, you're like, you're like, hey, we're just out here to have a good time, and then that last shell goes, and the bird's still standing. What are you doing? You come on, you, you get your crap together. You got to shoot the bird. Like, shoot him in the neck. Come on, please. You know, whatever, yeah. and just uh, falling apart. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was a rough one. It was a rough one. And the worst part was, I mean, so my the first shot, you know, called in three Jakes. She hit it. Not great, but not terrible. You know, I mean, those tungsten shells, they're going to, they do some damage. And he was, he was showing some signs of having trouble. But by the time we were nine shells deep into it, and we still only had that bird to go run down, I was just like, it, I never thought that could happen. You know, I mean, they they yeah. they killed their first birds when they were eight, smoked yeah. oh, yeah. them, shot birds when they were nine, smoked them, and then we had that night, and it was like, it was crazy. I mean, it pulled what? them out of school at two o'clock, and we were we were out of shells at like four thirty. I mean, it's just. Oh, but, what do you think happened? What what did happen? What do you think? Man, I don't know because we patterned that gun, and it was you know fifteen yards. I just think I think they were they just picked their head up or they were they just weren't aiming like yeah. something happened i don't know and it was it wasn't cuz of the gun it wasn't cuz the shells it was just they might have been flinching and you know that kind of stuff when it goes wrong and it it starts to spiral you know the yeah. pressure kicks in and you know you just my one daughter i know for sure she just really rushes her shot yeah and so she was just rushing it 
too much. Yeah. And the other one, she's usually really good. Like she's been good on deer and turkeys and really, you know, the year before made a great shot on a big Tom. And just, I think it was just not when it didn't go right the first time, then it was real downhill. And, you know, like you said, like I didn't handle it well. I, you know, after, cause a single shot gun, I like, after a while yeah. I was like, guys, yeah. yeah, like we're not, this is like a gift. I mean, we're calling in birds. Like you're not going to get this, you know, as a first no. day you're hunting them. And, but it, it's whatever, you know, they're, they like that little gun and it's a great gun for, it, it can be, you know, real effective, but I'm like, we're going a little more horsepower next time and we're just going to do it differently. And, you know, it, it happens. And then I took uh, my brother-in-law and my nephew out like three days after we had that epic meltdown and we got into the blind in the rain. I started calling and like 20 minutes later, I looked up and seven redheads popped over the hill and here comes seven Jake's and, you know, right into the decoys. And he's like, I think he was 12 last spring, big kid. I'm like, just pick one. They're all whatever. <laughs> and yeah. he shoots and they're all just standing there. So another shell in the chamber. And I said, just whatever one you want buddy and yeah. i watched him shoot that gun and i'll bet he didn't hold i bet that bead wasn't within six feet of those turkeys mm. just like uh just like pulled the trigger to get it over with so i was like well yeah. we got to stop this and reset because we can't be shooting yeah. up into outer space here like <laughs> we gotta yeah. and you know so it's just you forget you know i mean you take people who are pretty accustomed to carrying a shotgun around and they blasted a bunch of turkeys that turkey walks in most of the time it's like this is the easy part you That's know right. like get, yeah. getting them there is mostly the hard part but you take kids out and you realize like and you know i mean it's it, it really kind of helps you shore up your game too like did they see us a little bit or like you know we're gonna have yeah. more movement and less confidence in the shot so you better you better have your decoy placement right you better know how to call like especially in the heat of the moment, you get one shot at it doesn't bust away. You better know how to keep them birds around, and it's it's a high stress <laughs> environment. Oh my gosh, I, I'm I'm sweating just hearing you talk about it. Like I'm, this is kind of crap that I, I was. It's about this time of year I'll start having nightmares about this very thing you just described in the last five minutes. Um, you know, just that. You know, my kid just shooting, closing his eyes, shooting you know, shooting out of just get it over with, just send it. And I'm, you know, panic mode, um, all that stuff, man. Don't let the social media photos fool you. I can be, you know, go from daddy of the year to hero to zero real quick, you know, in that ground blind or, you know, whatever. But it's just because you do, we forget about the fact, Hey, we're dealing with a nine-year-old, you know, we're dealing with a nine-year-old that can't really comprehend, or handle the crap, you know, load of crap we're putting on them right now. You know, I mean, I think about it, you know, my heart's racing so bad when uh, that gobbler comes in there, you know, with a 45 year old man, it's more than I can handle. A lot of times I get so tore up and I think I'm going to, you know, it's going to kill me. I'm going to have a heart attack right here. I'm so excited. These birds are coming, marching right to me. And then we dump that onto a a nine or 10 year old. I'm like, come on, dude, what's your problem? I mean, you shot a whole box of shells. That was 60 bucks. He ain't got a turkey yet. What are you doing? You know, like, uh, you're going to pay me back for that crap. What are you doing? You know, and, uh, but anyway, it's, um, that's what makes it fun. Like I said, we pull our hair out just, just trying to get them there. But 
uh, like you said, man, it, the, the biggest thing for me is like, dude, I watched you knock the crap out of one last year. Yep. You know, you, you, you've been killing and then they have one of these meltdowns and they can't hit the broad side of a barn. And you're wondering like, what happened to you? You know, where'd my kid go? You know? And, um, you know, so it's fun, man. But you, you know, what would be the best thing for guys like us in that situation? If we could just look up into the sky and see a replay of like our last five years of hunting and all the mistakes we've made. That's right. I, I mean, I think about that stuff all the time. I mean, I I had a meltdown muzzleloader hunting deer this year. Really yeah. good opportunities slipped through my fingers. You know, I, I I pheasant hunt like a fiend, right? Like I I love it. And there'll be days, you know, I'll I'll go a whole weekend and maybe not miss a rooster. Like, and yeah. then I'll have a hunt where I'll have a bird get up and fly straight away, and I'll empty both barrels and go. Never touched him, and then <laughs> five minutes later, I'll have another rooster do the exact same thing. And yep. you're like, I think I could have got that bird with a slingshot and I can't get yep. it with my 12 gauge here. And it's, you know, you forget, but I think part of it is, you know, you take your kids out or you take a newbie out. You're like, I just, I want it for them so bad, That's you know, it. and then you just lose your shit and then you feel bad. And it's just, it's just tough. It's tough being an idiot, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of those times where I have, I, I finally cooled off. I'm like, Hey dude, I'm sorry. I'm not sure what all I said back there. Uh, <laughs> But I want to apologize for any of it that wasn't cool, and uh, which was most of it. But uh, my little nine, well, he, he just turned ten, ten uh, year old Rimbo. He he'll call you out on that stuff, though. You know, he he's he's the one that you know. I don't know. I mean, he's the one that he's the one that shot the antler off of off of the deer this year, and that was you know in and of itself. But he called out. I mean, he called me out to dad. Look, I was aiming right where I needed to. You just didn't aim. You didn't have the gun dialed in. You know, you didn't have it dialed in right. You know, and he was right went back and shot and the gun was off, you know, and, um, but he'll, I can't remember what it was this season. Um, uh, same kind of deal. I had a meltdown. I'm like you, man, I, I missed some, several deer rifle hunting, just doe meat, you know, doe killing and missed several. And he said, uh, he's in the blind. He said, dad, you want me to, you want me to shoot one? And uh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, shut your mouth. If I want you to shoot one, I'll hand you the gun, you know? And he, and he didn't, he, he thought I was kidding. And I, you know, I tried to act like I was kidding. But I was serious. Like you should, you know, sit there and shut your mouth, boy. You watch, watch me and he's like well i was just and he didn't pick up on that he was like he took it a step further he said i was just figured since you weren't hitting any i could try <laughs> yeah uh let's send him home you know get back to the truck boy yeah. but um my kids like it when i screw up too believe me yeah and it yeah it, you know it just is what it is what what are you using for calls what's your what's your go-to man i i've got a little bit of everything but i you know i've got some mouth calls i've just been last little couple years been trying to uh, figure out how to, you know, just hand make my own calls, mouth calls, got a little press now I use. And so uh, I'll use, you know, mouth calls. That's all my, always my go-to. I tell folks, I say, you got to learn to use a mouth call. I mean, you had a box call to me. I've got a box call that sounds as good as anything out there. It's a little Primos, uh, Tall Timber Gabriel from Primos. And it's, it's not, a, you know, they just started it in the last five years or so, but it just sounds so good. I mean, it's just such a good sound of box call. I love it. Um, you know, slate calls, whatever, but, and I tell people, you got to learn to use that mouth call because that bird's going to hang up out there at 60, 70 yards, and you need just a little more. You need one little note, whatever, let him know. And you reach over for that slate call, reach over and wrap off on that box call. That little movement gets you busted. And so I, I try to make sure I've always got that mouth call in my cheek and, and encourage people to make sure they know how to use it just to hit that little note without moving, you know, be able to hit one more one more lick on the call without having to move and, and uh, you know put a call in your hand. So mouth call. Oh, uh, that box call is always close by. Again, it's like, you know, it's got so much more volume on those windy days. I like to use it and just 
yep. really want to crank out some volume. And man, I've been carrying a little tube call. Um, I've got a little tube call that I've been using and uh, last little bit, and it's just whatever. I can I can yelp on it, but I can gobble on it. One thing I use a lot is is just doing that Jake Calkin, you know, on it, you know, sort of that half gobble, uh, little Jake Calkin sound, whatever, and. Um, I think it's just the fact that it's something different, you know, not many guys are doing it. It's a yeah. sound that you know, a lot of guys really may not know how to do or can't do. And so it's just something different. I'm always looking for something different than everybody else. that has got the same old, you know, same old call, you know, everybody in the brothers got the same box call or, you know, whatever. Um, just something that will separate me from every other sound that they've heard from, you know, the players out there. So, yeah, I, man, I agree so much on the mouth call thing. Like, I think if you're listening to this and you've never turkey hunted or you're, you're, you're new to it, you got to learn how to use a mouth call. I mean, there's just, you know, one, I know, I know a lot of people don't like bow hunting turkeys because you're stuck in a blind generally, but man, you really learn how to get birds in the decoys if you can't move. And when you get close birds, you know, if you think about a bird that walks in when you're shotgun hunting, he's 30 yards away and you shoot him in the head and he's over, it's done. But you think about how often when you're bow hunting them where they're hanging up at 30 yards and the hens are in your decoys and you listen to that chatter and that back and forth and those content little purrs and, and clucks and stuff. There's, you, you can do some of that stuff on like a slate call and you, I mean, you can make some of it happen with other calls, but man, a mouth call, there isn't a call that you can't make. I mean, you're talking about gobbling my locator call. Now I gobble with a mouth call all the time. You know, like you, you want to get a bird to sound off on the roost or you want to get a bird to sound off close. You gobble, you know, yep. and yep. I mean, you got to be careful with that. You know, I, I don't do it nearly as much when I'm on public land, obviously, but right. there's a lot of situations where I can find a bird with that. And it's like, if I need to really go, and like you said, you know, if you're running and gunning, like every other call requires some kind of movement typically, that mouth call doesn't, you know, and I, I love, I, for me, my, my go-to is I carry a couple slates and, and some mouth calls. And then that way I can run a slate and I can kind of like back and forth Yelp, you know, and you could do it with a box call too. I just like using a slate, but sounding like two birds. And then you, you know, like if you, if you call in a hen, like a dominant hen and get her fired up and you listen to that interaction, I mean, yeah. it, you almost never do that without striking up a bird somewhere. Like if you get a real hen that comes in and she's hot and she's pissed and you're going toe to toe with her, if there's a yeah. gobbler that can hear it, he's going to gobble. And you can, yeah. And you can do that. If you, if you're pretty good with a mouth call and a slate call or a box call, you can make that sound happen. That interaction that to me is like 10, 11 o'clock when you haven't had a gobble for a couple hours man, it can be, be real good yeah. in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. The first bird I ever killed back in college, I had a guy with me from Louisiana. We we're up in Virginia hunting. He came all the way from uh, Louisiana out there. Good, good turkey hunting back there in the late nineties. And, um, that's what he did, man. I, I, I've been hunting this place a couple of days and it's not doing any good. And he comes to town and he's like, I'll go with you, man. I'll help you call an older guy. And sure enough, dude, he had a slate call in one hand, mouth call, and he was just eating it up right off the roost. And, I mean, we had this gobbler that I killed, marched up the hill, up the side of the mountain, come from pitch down, comes marching back up, and I shoot the thing. And he was just working that double, that dual action calling, slate calling, mouth calling. It sounded so good. But like you said, that gobbler got fired up, and he wouldn't shut up, man. Once he, he just, it's like he said, hey, I'm, I, you know, I want in on this action. These hens are going nuts, the sound of the calls, and he just, bah, bah, just as quick as he could go, just coming up the mountain. So, 
It is, man. It's it's putting those sounds out there, keeping it real, man. That's what folks really, you know, we, we make out the thing to be a whole lot more than it really is. I mean, you know, the name of the game is just keeping it real. You're painting a picture in that animal's mind. Whatever you do, whether it be scratching in the leaves, uh, those soft, subtle sounds, uh, whatever it is you do, your your decoys, it's all painting a picture in that animal's mind. You know, what are you telling? That's the thing. If we just keep that in mind, what are you telling that bird? You know, when you put the decoys out, when you make those sounds, uh, a lot of guys will, uh, you know, they think they're cutting at a bird and they're actually putting, you know, the alarm yep. putting sound. And, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's just knowing those uh, different sounds and, and creating a, a picture, an image in that, that bird's mind of, you know, this is where he needs to be, you know. And what are you going to say, do, or show him to make that happen? Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. 
And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You know, when I was growing up, you know, I killed my first bird when I was 14, and all the advice was yelp three times and shut up. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then I, I always hunted. Every, every back then I had a draw tag in the fall, but I, I started fall hunting as soon as I started spring hunting and you call in a flock in the fall and you're like, Oh my God, these things are making noise constantly and they're keeping okay. track of each other and they're getting territorial on their food. Like they get real protective of their food sources and you go, man, there's a whole world of communication going on here that we don't necessarily think about. And then, you know, in the spring you get out there and you get those hands are kind of busted up and you're just like, Yelp, yelp, yelp. Three times. They're like, okay, she's just saying she's here. There's nothing yeah. to that, you know? Yeah. But if she's yeah. starting to challenge that dominant hen over there, or she's real fired up and she's cutting hard. And now there's another hen purring and clucking or whatever that now it's like, there's something going on there. And think how often, you know, you see this a lot. If you scout them like right before the season opens, you get out there in like late March and you'll see like that main flock of birds. And then you see that little flock, pop out in the corner and then when they meet up there's all kinds of turkey sounds going on there and basically what you're doing out there is you're saying i got this little flock here somebody else showed up and you you know how often that happens and then you look and then there's the big guy in the corner he's checking things out or the jakes come running in and like you said you're you're selling something to them and it's not that interesting a lot of times to just hear an animal go yeah i'm here i'm scratching away like big deal like they right. hear that all day long. Yeah. 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 They need to hear something that uh, just to elicit that response. I mean, they need to hear something that uh, makes it worth leaving what they got to come hang out with you. And, and a lot of times it's just ticking that hen off. Somebody asked me the other day in a seminar, like, Hey, what do you do? You know, when he's hinned up, she's got, you know, you've got hens over there. And I was like, you, you gotta, you gotta get her, you gotta get her to you. then you gotta piss her off. Um, and I just, I start mimicking her, whatever she said, I say it right back to her. And, you know, and I mean, it's, everybody loves a cat fight, right? We like to see chicks fights. So we're going to go to see that. We're going to check that out. We're going to follow that. And, and you get her popping off and you just hit it right back with whatever she says. And man, that just drive her crazy. And then, like you said, the two flocks coming together and, um, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's, I think there's, there's something to that too, with those dominant hens They you, you know, they're never alone. Like, yeah. I mean, you okay. just watch them. They've got the best food sources like they're they'll fight. You know, I mean, you you don't see it in the spring. You do see it in the spring. Some you see it in the fall a lot where they come in chest bump and decoys and they're they're just as nasty and ready to fight. And you shoot a bird like you arrow a bird in the fall. Those other ones jump right on top of it. And you're like, this is only what toms are supposed to do. But they're all yeah. savages. And you yeah. you start you start thinking about that. You know, you're like, oh, I got What do I got to do to get this Tom in? It's like most of the time, if you just know how to call hens really well, you're going to win the game every time. Like, you know, you get a, you get a hot bird 
he's coming. Like he's not that hard to call in that the hen that's just contentedly feeding over there, 150 yards away. If you can talk her in, you win all the turkeys. That's right. Yeah. You just got to get her fired up. And like you said, she'll come in there, she'll march in there and she'll bump that decoy. She'll, um, and I've seen them do that strutting, you know, a lot of people think, Oh, you know, hen strutting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they do that little half strut. You set fan come out and, um, and she's tick, man. She, like you said, she's bumping that decoy. She's raising up on it and, and just, um, it's a dominant thing. You know, she's not going to, just like that, that gobbler's not going to put up with another gobbler up in his business. She's the same way. You know, this is her stomping grounds. And here comes this little hussy in here talking big talk and, and, uh, she'll come in there and straighten the situation out. Yeah. I mean, you, when you start paying attention to them, it's, that's one of the reasons I love glassing them right before the season because when they're breaking up and they're starting to fight and get ticked at each other they you just get just a crash course on like dominance and the hierarchy out there and i'll never yeah. forget uh this was a couple years ago i was hunting two two big birds they're always with this flock on this farm by my house and i knew these birds pretty well and i finally called them in through this this kind of high spot in this swamp and they're on their way back to roost and i was bow hunting them and I shot at the the lead Tom, and he was the dominant one. He he had one buddy with him who was subordinate, and that was it. They like it was yeah. just like clear cut. He was he would strut, he wouldn't. And I hit that bird low, and he and hit him in the leg, and so Ooh. he started limping. And I mean, the instant that that Tom started limping, that other bird puffed up and went over there and started bullying him around. I mean, it was like. Ooh. It was like one second, and that subordinate Tom said, there's my window, and I'm taking it. Yeah, and I'll bet yeah. you that kind of stuff happens to turkeys every day. Yeah. I mean, not yeah. not that specifically, but they're always looking for that. Looking for that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it for, for years. You know, how quickly they go from strutting together, buddy, buddy, to I'm going to you know, stomp your head in the ground now that you're laying there, you know? And they, they do. They stomp each other, sit there, peck them, pick their head up, and throw, throw them after they're laying there dead. And it's – uh. It's an interesting game, and, you know, I'd love to see more of the science behind that. You know, because we talked about that earlier. When you take out that dominant bird, what happens? You know, can they handle it? Can they produce? How long does it take them to get their mojo together and be able to breed a hen and, and be effective and not be shooting blanks? You know, there's a lot of that kind of variables that they say uh, has an impact. But, man, it's, it's fascinating to watch that happen, you know, to see that subordinate bird step up and realize that, oh, man, the boss is down. Uh, here's my moment, you know. So it's good stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff to see. Uh, I wanted to ask you. So I've 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 hunted southern birds some, like a little bit, not not nearly as much as northern birds and birds in the middle of the country. But there's always this kind of, uh, and I'm totally stereotyping here, but it happens a lot. Southern turkey hunters talk a lot of shit about northern birds, and you you live down there in Tennessee. You've probably hunted north and south quite a bit. Like, do you see a big difference in the callability of birds north to south or not? I think for, for me, the biggest difference is, um, you know, you hear people say turkey's a turkey, whatever. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is, is just the pressure that comes from the South, the pressure on those birds. Uh, I think if you take those two birds and put them, you know, put them and everything is equal, whatever. Um, but I think just the number of turkey hunters in the South and the pressure that they get, uh, that they get each year, I think that's the biggest thing. Those birds are just, they've heard it all. You know what I'm saying? I think about some of the little places I hunt around town here and uh, any given day, there's a different truck park there. And that guy goes in there with his box call and his out, his, you know, his little hoot flute and he does his rendition. Next day, another guy does it. And 
so those birds really get pretty tough, pretty call shot, you know, pretty quick. Uh, and I think between the, the, the tremendous pressure we've got, you know, people talk about, oh, I don't hear turkeys gobble anymore. I think we've kind of built that in. I think we've conditioned them. Uh, they know, man, every time I gobble, a dang coyote show, you know, shows up down there. I got a, you know, a uh, pack of coyotes showing up. Every time I start gobbling this limb, coyote shows up or there's a redneck coming down the trail, you know, with this hoop flute at me, you know, we've just got a lot of pressure on our birds. And so I think they're tougher from that standpoint. You know, a lot of guys say, Oh yeah, these Southern birds, they're, they're tougher, smarter birds than, than what they've got in the Midwest or the, you know, up North or whatever. And I don't think it's a smarter bird. I think it's just the fact we've made that we've built that in, you know, we've, we've put so many hunters on top of them yep. because I mean, you go to a private farm around here and, you know, West Tennessee and, you know, I've got some places I'll go and nobody's touched them. And, you know, it, it's the easiest thing in the world. You know, you go up there and you kill one that's not been messed with. He's not hurt anybody. He's not, you know what I'm saying? It's, yep. that's not a hard bird to kill. He's, he's an unpressured bird. He's not been messed with. And so, um, that's the biggest thing. I think it's a tougher, a tougher Turkey, but not because it's a Southern Turkey. I think it's just because it's so many rednecks running around down here, uh, that has just put so much pressure on them. And I know some of my guys in the Midwest, you know, uh, you know, they hunt around Illinois and Iowa and whatever. And, and I see some of these crazy hunts where there's 40 or 50 birds come blowing in there opening day and stuff. I'm thinking, my gosh, what's the deal? But, um, a lot of those guys I see, they're they're set up in a blind, and they're just if it ha- doesn't happen if they're blind in that food plot, they don't mess with them. So that's a lot less pressure, you yep. know. They they let the birds go, they slip out of their blind, you know, if they kill them or not, they they whatever. There's just a lot less pressure, um, you know, on that turkey and that style of hunting. And so uh, I think it lends it's going to lend itself to birds that are less pressure. You know, they're going to be more callable. Um, so that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, you're, you're right. There's a lot of guys like, oh, we got tough turkeys down here in the South. It's like, no, you just, you just molested them for the last, you know, several years. And now they're, you know, they're just call shy because of that. Not, yep. not because God built a tougher turkey in the South, you know, man, I'm so glad you said that. Cause I feel, you know, you hear that in the deer world all the time. Like this state's awesome. And this state sucks. This is the hardest state. This is the easiest state. And I just look at that and I go, but on what property, like on what property are you basing that on? You know? And it, I, I really think a lot of the deer hunting and the turkey hunting opportunities we have now, the the number one factor is pressure just, yeah. and it doesn't matter if you're in Pennsylvania or Louisiana or Iowa or wherever it's like lots of pressure makes it real hard and no pressure makes it pretty damn easy, you know, like relatively yeah. speaking. And it feels that way. You know, I, I, I hunt birds up here a lot in the late season, you know, between here and Wisconsin and, you know, you get a lot of those silent birds or you get a yeah. lot of those birds that, you know, you're just like, they're just not really into playing the game anymore because they've been messed with a lot. And it's, it doesn't feel any different to me than when I'm hunting public land whitetails or I'm hunting elk out in Colorado and over the counter unit. And you're like, man, they're just not very callable here because there's people everywhere they're still killable like they're still it's still doable but it's a different game than being in a place where they just don't get messed with yeah yeah absolutely you know i hear people say alabama and mississippi are the toughest turkeys you know anywhere and um and again i think it goes back to i mean you look at mississippi i mean uh you got timber in some parts a lot of it's just a big delta open country i mean it's just not uh not a lot of place for turkey to be but but going back to pressure man i mean you know, like I said, I hear it all the time. Mississippi are the toughest turkeys ever. But you think about it. I mean, what has Mississippi got? Mississippi has got tons of hunters. 
They got all the, you know, all the major, I mean, Turkey, a lot of Turkey, the Turkey heritage and culture came from Mississippi. You got Mossy Oak, you got Primos, you got so much Turkey business, you know, the whole, you know, much of the industry around the Turkey world came out of Mississippi. So it lends itself to be a bunch of dudes that are passionate, religious about Turkey hunting. And that's life to them. And I get it. I'm, I'm right there with it, but it's all the breeding ground for Turkey hunters right there. And so that's where that pressure that pressure is, you know, there's a lot of it. Now I will say this. I did, I did do a media hunt with Primos a couple of years ago and we hunted a place down there, a plantation in Mississippi and I killed a bird and they were like, Hey, this is only like three. This is like the third bird, second or third bird in like five years have been killed off this place. And I couldn't believe how much pressure, uh, lack of pressure. Nobody, nobody really hunted it. They like let a guy come in, you know, one of the Primos guys had gone in the year before and killed a bird. But it was just crazy how tough those birds were tough, very tough. And just, and it was, there weren't a lot of people hunting, like I said. So that was a tough place, but it was also being timbered, had logging operation going on. So I'm wondering, okay, is it because of the logging people are in there every day? What, you know, whatever. But, um, so I don't want guys to hear this and be like, oh, you know, you know, whatever. Cause I have been on some places down there where we got it handed to us, man. I mean, just, just butts kicked. And pressure was not a factor in that. Not hunting, not hunting pressure anyway. Um, but by and large, I'd say, man, you know, you look and you see somebody say these birds are just tough. It's it's most time in my, you know, from what I've seen over the years, is because somebody's made those birds tough. Somebody has been in there and just run round and round, called at them. Uh, they've heard it, seen it, done it, whatever. And those birds just don't they don't put up with that. They learn they learn where to be, you know, when to say, you know, when to speak and when to. Uh, quit that goblin you know so it's we we, we put a lot of, just like anything i mean it's not any different deer man those deer know hey dude it's hunting season here they are here they come again and they start laying low turkeys turkeys know when to hold them when to fold them for sure dude i think you know it kind of to piggyback off of that i think one of the things that that happens so much in hunting is you hear that because i remember talking i think i was talking to aaron or zach from the hunting public about hunting mississippi and alabama turkeys and they're like, we're killing birds. Like, we're finding them. We're killing them. You know, it's not, you know, you, you hear that these, like, they're like unkillable, uncallable. It's like, yeah, there's they're still turkeys. And I think what happens so often in hunting is we get this general consensus in our head that it's going to be this way or it's going to be that way. You know, like, nope. you're never going to kill. Like, I don't know how many people have told me you'll never kill a big buck on public land in Nebraska. You know, we shoot them all in the, you know, with the rifles and I go down there and I'm like, oh my God, like there's like, this is so much better than my private stuff at home. And so, you know, you get that and that's just like one example, but you see this so often like regionally or, you know, state by state where it's like, our hunting is the toughest. You'll never do this. And it's like, well, now you've made up your mind that you're never going to do this. Like Mm -hmm. you mean to tell me that you couldn't spend the whole season down there in Mississippi, if you know what you're doing and call in a bird, of course you could. But if you go into it and you think I'm not going to make it happen because it's too hard, they're, they're uncallable. They're never going to gobble. They're never going to do. Okay. Well then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's right. You've talked yourself out of it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's playing that a lot of it is, I think a lot of it's an ego trip too. You know, you hear the same thing about, about guys that use it as a crutch, right? Oh, well, you know, we're, we're on the toughest bird. I hadn't killed a bird in three years, but we're also hunting these, these birds here in Alabama. They're the toughest birds on earth. So, you know, that's my reason excuse for not ever, you know, that's my cover up for being a sucky turkey hunter. We're hunting tough birds, you know, or 
same thing with deer hunting, you know, public land. Well, I don't ever kill deer, but it's because, you know, I'm hunting public land, you know, it's like, well, you can't use that. You know, you can't, you know, I mean, just tell people you're not very good, but don't blame your lack of success on the fact you're on a public piece of property. You know, that's, that's not, you know, whatever. So, I mean, um, people use that as a crutch. Yes, it's tougher. Yes. You're dealing with people, you're dealing with pressure, a lot of that stuff, but don't, don't use that as a crutch or just like you said, setting yourself up to have that easy out. Like, Oh no, I I'm, I'm hunting, you know, I'm hunting Mississippi. It's, it's the hardest bird on earth. And you just get that in your mind right off the bat. Like I, I can't, you can't call these birds and you, you tell yourself that enough times and you'll, you'll talk yourself out of it. Yeah. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I don't, do you know what Mille Lacs Lake is? You ever heard of that? So no, huh? it, Mille Lacs in Minnesota is sort of like the smallmouth destination. It's like a 115, 120,000 acre bowl that's crystal clear and it is just a smally factory. But wow. it has gotten really popular. They had a, I think it was a BASS uh, Angler of the Year tournament or something there a couple of years ago. And a local kid that I used to fish against a lot who's just really gotten good at professional fishing named Seth Fighter won it with for three days he had 70 75 pounds of smallmouth so he had he had a five pound limit every day which is you know i mean when you bring in five fish in a day that are against the best anglers in the country you know like it's and so anyway it got real busy got a lot of publicity it was popular before and so you see this in the fishing world where it's like well the Malak Smallies get so much pressure that you got to go, you know, finesse all the time and, you know, six pound floral that they can't see and throw little hair jigs and stuff. And I just, we, we have a place pretty close to there. And I, I brought my daughter a couple years ago and it was pretty windy right away for my, my boat. And so it was kind of a, kind of rough, but I'm, I'm throwing swimming jigs just to throw something and I'm catching Smallies and I told my buddy about it and he was like, I can't believe you were catching smallies in there on swimming jigs. And I'm like, well, dude, they're smallmouth. Like, I don't, you know, it looks kind of like a minnow. looks kind of like a crayfish. Like, you know what I mean? But you get it in your head that you're like, well, they're so, it's going to be so this way that I have to just like go in this little narrow lane. And we see this, you know, you see this all the time. And the, the THP guys did this really well in the deer world where they showed people like, you know, you think that you can't do this out there? We're gonna, we're going to show up there and show you you can. And it's it's yeah. almost gone so far with public land whitetails where it's like now everybody thinks they're going to go out there and shoot 150 insurance. Like, well, it's not that easy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You still got to be good. That's what people, you know, don't realize that THP guys they're good hunters. You know, they're they're good at what they do. You know, they they go, they put the time in, they leave home for extended periods of time, they do stuff to make it happen. Uh, it, it's not going to be, you know, hop in down there, your first set, climb up a tree and, and boom, there's your 150, you know, you got to work for it. You know, I talked to Aaron a few weeks ago too, and said the same thing. He said, man, you know, Mississippi's tough. You know, we did, we worked our butt off for a week and then you finally found them, but, but they found them, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you got to do your homework. You, you watch enough YouTube and makes it think, makes you think you can go down there and just show up, you know, park at the gate, walk down the road and boom. Here it is. The magic happens, but you still got to work at it, man. I mean, you got to put your time in and, um, but it is doable. That's the bottom line. Like you said, that's what the hunting public is showing people that it, yeah, you can do it. You know, um, you gripe about your piece of property, uh, your, your state being the toughest, whatever they're still showing folks, Hey, we're strangers showing up and killing birds. So, I mean, it, it, it happens. Yeah. And I, I think, I think one of the problems with a lot of the YouTube content and some of the other hunting content out there now 
is you really so you see the success on public land and you go like that's like that's the keynote thing right like that's the that's the sizzle reel but if it took seven days and they condensed that down to a 20 minute youtube episode it's really easy to kind of not think about being there for seven days getting your butt kicked when you see you know you know, two thirds of the show is devoted to the kill sequence or, you know, half of the show. And it's like, there might be whole days where you didn't, you didn't get exposed to that at all, where nothing happened, or, you know, it was a lot of walking around looking for sign or a lot of, you know, whatever. And so it's sort of a skewed view, but it's, you know, it's totally doable out there, you know, turkeys, deer, public land, it's all so many good opportunities. Brody, buddy, we are out of time here, man. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I wish you and the the whole Swisher crew a whole bunch of luck this spring down there on those birds. Uh, I hope you guys stack them up. Yeah, man. I appreciate the opportunity, and I do. I look forward to seeing those girls and what they get into each year. So hopefully this year you got the meltdowns and the shot shells, missed shot shells out of the system. I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with here in the weeks ahead. Well, we're gonna we're we're scouting. We're gonna we're gonna get on them. Uh, why don't before we shut this down here? Why don't you let everybody know where they can find your stuff out there? Yeah, man, we always got content rolling through at bowhunting.com. I work as editor for that, uh, but also my own personal stuff is huntingroots.com. And so, just uh, opportunity there, huntingroots.com website, and then the Hunting Roots uh, podcast as well. So be sure to check us out. Love to see them there. Yeah, and if you if you go dig deep on that Hunting Roots podcast, you can hear yours truly talking about how I almost left my nuts up on a fence post one time. If you want to hear a, <laughs> hear a story about that, uh, we still talk about that and about you every time we cross a fence. I promise you, my boys <laughs> never have, I never forget that one. So yeah, Good well, stuff, I, I, I haven't forgot it either, Brody. Thank you so much, man. See you, dude. Appreciate you. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for some whitetail goodness. We won't be talking about turkeys. We will be talking about deer. This has been the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, be sure to check out TheMeatEater.com slash Wired to see a pile of new articles each week by guys like, I don't know, Bo Martonic and Alex Gilstrom and Mark and myself and a whole slew of whitetail addicts. Or you can head on over to the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel to view the weekly content we put up. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space.